A few months ago, I met with Austin and Kristen to talk about this church, and I've been familiar with City Light. My daughter and her husband go to City Light uh, Benson, and uh, so uh, Austin uh, asked if I would consider being on the advisory board for this church and prayed about it, and uh, my whole working life, I've worked with uh, college students about 30 years on college campuses in Japan and Iowa and Kansas and Nebraska. And then the last six years, we've been working with people in their 20s. And so, you know, this church is pretty much college students and people in their 20s. It's like it was really hard for me to decide to come. No, that's my bread and butter. That's what makes me happy. That's what gives me joy to be around young men and women who are wanting to follow God. And so it's fun for us to be here. And um, it's just been an incredible privilege to work with the staff team here and the not only the skill with which they work, but just the friendship that we have uh, between each other and the love that we have for each other. Um, so it's, it's fun. We're, we're, we're in the season of Advent. It's the four Sundays before Christmas. And um, an Advent is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Well, this, our Advent, we've got the most notable of persons, the arrival of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as a baby. We've got the most notable thing, one who came to live among us, to be born among us, to live a pure and holy life, to die on a cross, to be resurrected again, to ascend into heaven. The most notable thing and the, the biggest event that ever occurred on this planet was that God who made the planet became part of the planet. And so, what an advent. The first week, Mo talked to us about peace, and then Austin talked to us about hope, and last week, Mo spoke again about love, and this week, we're going to look at joy. The first two decades of uh, the 1900s, I wasn't alive then, but anyway, there was a guy who had played major league ball. His name was Billy Sunday, and Billy Sunday said... That if you don't have joy, there's a leak in your Christianity. Has your Christianity sprung a leak? Is there a leak there? Is it something's oozing out that's supposed to be there? What is joy anyway? We're going to look at that. There's many things in life that can steal our happiness. Things that go negative, the ups and downs of everyday life. But joy is deeper than all that. In fact, joy is so great, your best life experience doesn't even touch what joy is. Because the hard thing about your best life experience is it doesn't take long for the joy of that to go away. I think back for an experience for me when I was at Kansas State University. During the time we were there, uh, the Kansas State football team went 0-30-1. We're talking about three years of no wins. Being a guy from Nebraska, this was a little hard to stomach. Then when they hired a new football coach named Bill Snyder, and he came, and it took a while for Bill Snyder, the great coach that he is, to turn him around. But we were at a game with my, my oldest son and I were there. He was five years old at the time. And... Uh, thought, oh, this is probably going to be another loss. You know, you just kind of expect it after 0-30-1. I mean, what, what can you expect? Well, it's the end of the game. It's 17-14. to 14. North Texas is ahead. And they are so sure they're going to win. 
oops, lost me. The players that are uh, on the bench are standing on the bench, turning around and taunting the crowd. We gotcha, we gotcha, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, I was getting a little hot, you know. So there's like 12 seconds left. They got time for one more play. So they throw the pass to the end zone. I got on YouTube and watched it last week. It's kind of this wobbly thing, you know. And the guy catches the pass with timeout, and Gay State wins. And the crowd went crazy. I went crazy. I grabbed my five-year-old, put him on my shoulders. We went down to the field. The, the guy I went with, he wasn't going to do it. I didn't care. I'm going crazy, you know. So I run down to the field. We're doing high fives to all the players, you know. And I'm yelling, I believe, I believe, I believe. Because in the paper it said, please believe. <laughs> so I was believing. They did it, you know. And that lasted about a week till the next game. There was joy, but it didn't last very long. That's not the kind of joy we're talking about, but I can still remember it. It's still a happy memory. We want to look at a group of people that were kind of like K-State fans back in 1984. They were at the bottom. K-State during that time was the losingest team in the nation. Oh, what an honor. Let's look at uh, Luke Now, in Luke chapter 2, let me read this to you, verses 1 through 3. In those days, a decree, that's a command from an emperor. It's not a suggestion. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now, this isn't like, you know, registering at Von Mar, okay? This is like you're signing up to be taxed. Come sign your name here, and now we're going to tax you. It's real exciting. This is the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. You had to go back to your hometown to get registered. So for me, I'd have to go back to Minden, Nebraska to be registered. I don't know where you're from. But that's what Joseph had to do. I'm going to read on about what happened with Joseph and Mary. So Caesar Augustus is the emperor of the known world. And he's the adopted son of Julius Caesar. You've probably heard of Julius Caesar before. His mother is Julius Caesar's niece, and so he was adopted by Julius Caesar because he didn't have a son to be the next emperor. And Caesar, Julius Caesar, was declared to be God by the Romans. So this guy is the son of God in that culture. Little does he know that the real Son of God is coming. Yes. Okay, so we'll read on. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David. There's so many things going on in that sentence we don't have time to talk about. Okay? We've got David, we've got Bethlehem, which was prophesied to be the place where God's son, the Messiah, would be born, and he was of the house and line of David. So that's, that's his family origin. He's got to go back there. He goes with his wife, Mary, his engaged wife, his betrothed, who was with child. Okay? So he goes back, and previous to this, if you look back in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel has appeared to Mary and said that she's going to have a child. You all know the story. 
And Mary says, well, how will this be? He says, well, the Holy Spirit will come over you and you will have a child as a, as a virgin. And Mary says, let it be unto me as you have said. She responds in obedience. And then Joseph hears about it. And Joseph, in Matthew 1, it tells us that Joseph says, wow, somehow my, my fiance has gotten pregnant. I don't know what happened, but I'll just kind of put her away quietly. I'll, I'll Because back then when you were engaged, you had to get a divorce if you were going to break it off. So he was going to divorce her. And then an angel appeared to him and said, no, Joseph, go ahead and you can marry her. This is good. This is of God. She's with child of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So now we've got these two people that are being obedient to God, to the God of heaven and earth. They're doing what he wants them to do. And now they've got the emperor telling them what to do as well. So they've got a lot of pressure on him. By the way, she's eight months pregnant. And to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem is, you know, only 63 miles. You can't hop in your Honda and do that one. Okay? He's either going to walk or she's going to ride a donkey. Either one, when you're eight and a half months pregnant, doesn't sound real good. Like, what do I know? You know? I've been the first witness on five of them, though, okay? I wouldn't want to put my wife through that. I wouldn't want to be Joseph and, and have to do that. But they did it because they had to. Like I said, it was a decree, not a suggestion. So they went. And it says, and while they were there, the time gave for her to give birth. So now, not only got this long trip, now maybe the trip made her go into labor, I don't know. But now she's in labor. He's in a strange town. He has little or no money. He doesn't know anybody, you know, and there's no emergency care. Okay? So what do you do? He goes and he, he goes around and he finds all he can get, and all he can get is a stable. So he takes her, and he takes her there. It reminded me, as I thought about it, of a number of years ago, about 19, when my wife was pregnant with our last, our fifth child, and she went into labor. I went to take her over to St. Elizabeth Hospital, and I was, you know, when, you know, I don't know about you, but I, and I know other guys are this way too. When, when your wife goes into labor, you kind of go crazy, okay? For, she's, you know, it's kind of wild for her, but, but husbands go crazy. I mean, I drive up to the front door, which you're supposed to go into the emergency room door, okay? So I go up to the front door, and I open the door. She gets out, and she goes to walk up, and she's walking real slow. I'm like, hurry up! And she gives me one of those looks that only wives can give. No words necessary. Okay? And I realize I'm telling my wife to hurry up because my wife is having a baby. I'm kind of disconnecting this. You, you follow me? So, so then she, got, I said, she gets up there and the door's locked. So then she has to turn around and come back. And I'm like, would you hurry up? I don't say it this time because I've, I've, I've learned. Okay? But I'm still crazy. Get her in. Everything's fine. But here's Joseph again in this situation. I mean, if I was crazy there, what would he be like? He takes her in. They get her to this stable. Probably tries to make it the best he can. And she has her baby. They've gone 63 miles, 1,000 foot elevation. This is like almost like a triple marathon, Okay. The Lincoln Marathon ain't got nothing on this. Tough deal. 
They arrive. He gets her in a place. J.I. Packer describes this whole situation in this way in his book, Knowing God. He says, in fact, the real difficulty, the supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us is not in the Good Friday message of atonement, nor in the Easter message of resurrection, but in the Christmas message of incarnation. Now that's kind of a big, heavy theological word, but you guys probably have had something called chili con carne, right? Chili with meat, okay? So the word incarnation has that word right in the middle, carn, which means meat. Incarnation means God became flesh. And J.I. Packer, world-renowned theologian, says, that right there is the most unbelievable part of the whole story, is that the God who made us became one of us. It'd be like writing a long story and being able to write yourself in the story and be one of the characters in the story. Not only that, but the hero of the story. God became one of us. He goes on, he says, God became man, the divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than cry and stare and wiggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. And there was no illusion or deception in this. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the Incarnation. The most incredible event in all human history, and nobody knows about it. Just Mary and Joseph in a strange town. And so God decides to tell somebody. Now, if you were God, who would you tell? How about Herod, the ruler of the Jews? How about telling Caesar so he could have shown up? How about telling the chief priests? I mean, they should know. They're the spiritual guys. No. He goes and tells some everyday Joes. Let's read about it. In that same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch of their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. We're going to look at two surprises. One of the, I, I share with you about a surprise when I went to that football game and we won and we weren't supposed to win. We were just supposed to be 0-31 and 1. But this is the ultimate surprise. These guys are out in the field. It's dark. And I don't know about you. Have you ever been in the dark and then somebody just turned the light on? How about if somebody just turned a halogen light on? Right in your face. This is what happens. All of a sudden these angels appear. They're big, they're glorious, they're bright, and these people can't even see. And the amazing thing, when you go through the Bible, when an angel appears, the first thing the angel always says is, fear not. You know, they're shaking in their boots, you know? Fear not. Oh, yeah, that really helps. Like Mo said earlier, they're, they're the most glorious and powerful beings that God has created. And, they're, and they're, they just appear in the darkness of the night. So there they are, the angels, or this one angel. They're blinded, and the angel says to him, Fear not, for behold, 
I bring you good news. Now, the word good news is the word where we get our, our, our word gospel. It's the same Greek word that we translate gospel. The gospel in the first century was this, the triumphant arrival of an emperor. Hey, psst, the emperor is here. That's what the angel's telling him. The real emperor has shown up. And he's telling you, this is good news of great joy. The word joy here is derived from the same word that in our Bible is the word grace. The word in Greek for grace is charis. Greek is the language of the New Testament. And the word for joy is kara. So they came from the same origin. The word joy here means to be surprised by grace. You see, these shepherds were surprised that God was inviting them in. They didn't expect to be in. Because in that day, shepherds were not allowed to go to the temple. Because they handled dirty sheep all day long. And so they would have been unclean. They could go to the temple, but they would have had to stay away from sheep for like a month or so. Not touch them, get cleansed, go through ceremonial washings. Well, you know, when you're a shepherd, if, you don't, if you're not around your sheep, they tend to die. They tend to get stolen. So they just couldn't do it. So they were outside of the circle of acceptance. And what happens is God shows up through his angel and says, Come on in. You're welcome. Now, they didn't have to go to a palace to see him. They didn't have to go to the temple to see him because they wouldn't have been welcome there in neither of those places. So where was the baby? He was in a stable. That's where shepherds are always welcome. God came to the lowest place so that everyone was welcome. That's where the shepherds went. Have you ever had that experience of not getting invited to a party that you wanted to go to? I remember that in particular for my daughters. That was always kind of a traumatic thing. If there was a party or a, a, a ball or a dance or something like that. And, and somehow, I don't know why this happened, but the girls that did get to go somehow made it known to my daughters that they didn't get to go. You ladies that recognize that ever happened to you? All of a sudden, these guys are invited to the son of God's birthday party. You're in. You belong. We want you there, was the message. And so they get surprised by God's grace. And what are they invited to? The birthday party of the one who came to be the savior of the world. It's a surprise to be saved by grace. I heard a story a number of years ago, years ago, a guy named Tony Campolo who wrote a book called The Kingdom of God is a Party. Tony's a sociology professor in eastern Pennsylvania, and he was at a conference in Honolulu, and he was having trouble sleeping. It's about 2, 2.30 in the morning. He got up and went and found a greasy diner and got a cup of coffee and, and a donut. and was just sitting there, and about 3.30... All of a sudden, he hears this loud raucous of noise, and the doors come flying open, and about eight or nine prostitutes come walking in. 
And he's sitting up at the counter on his stool, and on either side of him are these prostitutes, and they're kind of talking about the evening. You know, now this guy, this is a little uncomfortable for this guy. And one of them says, hey guys, tomorrow is my birthday. I'll be 39. And another one of the women says, who cares? You're just a prostitute. Why, why should we care about your birthday? She says, I didn't mean anything by it. You don't have to be mean. I just wanted you to know. I've never had a birthday cake or a birthday party, anything like that, but I just thought maybe you would care. Ah, we don't care. So after a while, the ladies all leave, and Tony's still sitting there, and he calls over the guy that runs the diner, and he says, what was the name of that woman that was sitting here whose birthday's tomorrow? Oh, her name's Agnes. Why do you want to know? Well, I, I got an idea. I got an idea. How about if we have a birthday party for her tomorrow? I'll go get some streamers and make a banner, happy birthday, Agnes. We'll put some balloons up and I'll get a cake. And Harry, the guy that owns the diner, says, you're not getting the cake, I'm making the cake. That's my business. So Harry makes the cake. Next morning, Tony shows up, starts putting all the streamers and the banner up and all that sort of thing. And then Harry's wife gets excited about it and she's invited what Tony called all the prostitutes in Honolulu, probably not that, but, but it's filled with prostitutes, Okay. They're all in there sitting, and here's Tony, you know. And uh, then Agnes comes walking in, and she just stops dead in her tracks and sees this happy birthday, and everybody else, happy birthday! And they give her the cake with candles. She looks at it, and Harry says, well, let's cut the cake, Agnes. She says, I've never had a birthday cake. Could I take the birthday cake home? Harry goes, well, I guess so. It's your birthday cake. So she walks out. Talk about Awkward. Okay, now what do they do? Tony says, let's pray. So they pray. They, they're like, well, pray, okay. So they bow their heads. He prays, thanks God for Agnes, prays for her salvation, prays God will bless her, prays for all the people in the room, and says amen. And Harry says, you didn't tell me you were no preacher. He says, what kind of church do you go to anyway? And Tony says, I got an idea that must have come from God because I couldn't think that fast. I go to a church that has birthday parties for prostitutes at three in the morning. And Harry said, no, you don't, because if you did, I'd go to that church. See, that's the kind of church we got to become. A church that cares about people wherever they come from. He went to the shepherds. The shepherds were no better than those ladies. And the reality is none of us is any better than those ladies. I heard a story about Chuck Colson, who was one of the guys that was caught in Watergate and went to jail, came to know Christ in jail. He was speaking to a business person's group in Dallas. In the middle of his talk, a very smartly dressed businesswoman stood up and said, I resent that you're calling me a sinner. He said, ma'am, I don't mean to offend you further, but... If there was a holiness line and Jesus was over here as the most holy one and Hitler was at the other end, if we put you in the line according to your holiness, you'd be standing a lot closer to Hitler than you would be to Jesus. And you know what? That's true about all of us, isn't it? I think the line would be pretty heavy over here. There would be only one person over there. We all need a Savior. And... The shepherds got the news that 
is good news to us as well that God has sent His Son as a Savior to redeem us, to save us from our sins. We read on in here, this is what Mo was referring to earlier. Suddenly there was an angel and a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God. So versus has been this angel, and all of a sudden there's this big backup choir that comes and sings, Glory to God in the highest, on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. How does God get pleased with us? Do we do all the things right to get God's pleasure? No, God is pleased in his son. And because his son came, we can have the pleasure of God in our lives. And he's come to bring us peace and joy. Then we read on. The angels went away from them into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see what this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. So look at, look at what happens here. These guys, they, you know, just as stark as having all this angel and the angel choir, some boom, it's gone, it's dark again. They're standing in the dark talking to each other. Well, what are we going to do? Well, let's go see it. Now, sheep are, I met somebody last week that has sheep growing up. I said, what are sheep like? He said, sheep are stupid. So these guys go, well, let's just leave our sheep. That's their livelihood. Man, if God can appear as a bunch, in, through angels, tell us about this baby to be born, he can probably take care of our sheep. So they go in town, they leave their sheep. Because who wants to stay behind? Oh, you guys go have all the fun. No, they all go. They go into town, and they go on what I call a holy scavenger hunt. They go up to doors. You know, it's 11 o'clock at night, 2 in the morning, whatever it is. Hey, you got a manger? Got a stable? I mean, they didn't get an address. 219 Bethlehem Court. No, I mean, they didn't get an address. Okay. So they're going door to door, knocking. What are you guys looking for? Are you nuts, you bunch of crazy shepherds? What are you on? I mean, all of a sudden, all these people, people are mad at them. People are laughing at them. People are irritated. Yeah, they don't know what to think. Some of them are going, you saw angels? Wow. If you find out, come back and tell me about it. So they go and look, and they finally find this baby lying in a manger. The one who wore the royal robes of heaven is now bound with the cloth of a poor woman. The one who sat on the throne of the universe is now in an animal feeding trough. Manger sounds so much nicer. Manger. Okay? It's an animal feeding trough. I, we used to raise horses. I had to feed them every morning. You know what? They're not. They're kind of sloppy. Stuff falls out of their mouth that they've been half chewing on. I can't imagine this was any better. The highest in heaven came to the lowest place. And you know what? It don't smell good in the stables. It's just the way it is. That's where he was. And they came and they found him. You know, God is calling us to just as wild an adventure as what those shepherds got to go looking for the baby Jesus. You see, we've been 
saved by the grace of God. We got the surprise of that and the joy that comes from that. But we also get the joy of being sent by the grace of God. Because another thing about shepherds that I found out is that shepherds were not allowed to be witnesses in court. They, did, they were deemed untrustworthy. They wouldn't do a good job. So who does God send out as the first witnesses to the birth of his son? Shepherds. Everyday, regular Joes went out excited. It says, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what their shepherds told them. So they're just kind of running around Bethlehem telling people, Hey, guess what? God has come. He's been born among us. They made the message known. I remember about a month or so ago, I was sitting right in the front row here, and Austin was sharing about Jesus and the demoniac, and he asked a question. It was a question that got in my space. He said, who's the person in your life that you feel is least likely to put their faith in Christ? And Austin didn't know, but a week or so earlier, I'd been asked by my sister to go to the Philippines to see my dad. After my dad's second marriage broke up, he moved to Saudi Arabia, met a woman from the Philippines. They got married, and they moved to the Philippines to retire. And he'd been there for 19 years, and I hadn't seen him for 17. Haven't had a really good relationship with my dad because of a lot of different things. And I, you know, I'd already decided that question because every time I tried to talk to my dad about spiritual things, he just would get nervous and he didn't want to talk about it. He kind of lived at the news, weather, and sports level, literally. So how do you talk to somebody about the deepest things of life when they won't go there? So my brother, sister, and I went there. We visited him in his nursing home, talked to him. And my sister, she kind of gets in there first, and she's talking about spiritual things. She comes back, and she says, Dad doesn't know if he's going to heaven. I thought, well, that's good. I'm glad he knows that. I'm glad he doesn't know that. Now, what am I be, what am I, I'm not trying to be mean here, but so many people think they're going, and they don't really know that they're going. So I got to talk to him. I said, Dad, you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. The Bible tells you you can know for sure. John says, I write this to you, believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I said, Dad, you can know you have eternal life. I have eternal life. I know I'm going to heaven. And Dad, and I looked him straight in the eye and I said this, Dad, I want you to go to heaven with me. And as I said that to him, a tear came out of his eye and rolled right down his face. My dad's never been willing to talk about those kinds of things. I begged my dad to respond to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says that we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And I was begging. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Did you know Jesus was born in Bethlehem? You know what Bethlehem means? bakery the bread of life was born in a bakery and I told my dad where to find bread did he respond I think so I don't know for sure 
But I got the joy of explaining to him how he could know Christ. And he listened and he res- he, I got some response from him. I'm not sure exactly where he's at. Appreciate your prayer for him. But all of us, just like those shepherds, we don't deserve to be witnesses. We need grace. We need to respond to the grace that comes to us in Christ with joy. And then we need to respond by telling others about it. And usually the people that tell others about it the most are the ones that just received it. But you know what? You and I need grace every day. I don't know about you, but I messed up today. How about you? I need grace every moment. And so out of that joy that comes from that grace, we need to be telling others about who God is and what Christ has done for us. So we have the joy of being saved by grace and the joy of being sent by grace. And, you know, when I tell the story of Christ to people, sometimes I get the same response the shepherds got. I get anger. I get irritation. I get humor. People laugh at me. And I also get people that want to know the wonder of what's happened in my life. And there's a great joy. I don't know if you've experienced it before, but I covet it for you if you haven't, of telling someone about Christ and having them respond. Go get it. It's there for you. And you know, some of the hardest people to tell it to are the people that are going to be at your Christmas party. I prayed for my dad for over 20-some years. Now, they might not respond this Christmas, but keep talking. Keep talking. Now we're going to celebrate together the blessing of communion. At our house, we have a special plate. It's called the UR special plate. It's red. And on your birthday, or if you have some kind of a significant event in your life, you get the UR special plate. Does anybody have one of those at their house? Yeah, a few people? Okay, yeah. Well, communion is kind of like getting the UR special plate. It's celebrating with your family the joy that you've been given in Christ. Because communion is a family table. And if you know Christ here this morning, we want to celebrate that with you. It's a celebration of what's already happened. I found this another definition of joy. Joy is the ability to think about life knowing that whatever God brings will result in celebration. You know, what God brought Jesus when he came to this earth was difficult. But it resulted in celebration. And we celebrate that here today. So... As the servers come up, I'm going to pray, and we're going to celebrate that together, that special meal for family, a family that is filled with joy. Let me pray.